Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's November 6th. The United Nations condemned apartheid on this day in 1962 and also requested that UN member states cut off relations with South Africa. I talked a bit about apartheid back in October when we talked about the birth of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Segregation had existed in South Africa way before this point, but the formalized system of apartheid, which comes from the Afrikaans word for apartness, really started in 1950. The National Party had come to power in South Africa in 1948, and they had passed laws like the Population Registration Act of 1950. This act started off by sorting everybody in South Africa into three categories. They were the Black Africans and who people who were described as colored or multiracial and white. As a result of these laws, there were many of them. South Africa's minority white population had all the political power and the most advantageous places to live and work, and virtually all of South Africa's land and wealth. There had, of course, been lots of resistance to racism and segregation and discrimination in South Africa way before these laws were passed. But after the laws were passed, that resistance became a lot more formalized. And then international criticism started really quickly as soon as the National Party came to power. Criticism really escalated after a massacre in 1960, which happened in Sharpville, which is near Johannesburg, South Africa. About 7,000 protesters had arrived at a police station on March 21st. They were protesting against these discriminatory laws. And although this protest was completely nonviolent, the police responded with force and killed at least 69 Africans and injured 186 people. Most of the people who were killed in this massacre were actually shot in the back. In this resolution that the United Nations passed in 1962, the General Assembly stated that it deplored the South African government's flagrant failure to comply with international requests and demands to end these racist policies. And the United Nations also requested that member states break off diplomatic relationships with South Africa, close their ports to any vessels that were flying the South African flag, prohibit their own ships from entering South African ports, boycott South African goods, and refuse the landing of South African aircraft. These were a lot of steps that the UN was requesting that the member states take. The United Nations also established the United Nations Special Committee Against Apartheid at the same time, which started reviewing South Africa's apartheid policies in 1963. So this resolution was not at all the first time that the United Nations was looking at racism and apartheid in South Africa. The government of India had asked the UN to look at the treatment of Indians in South Africa back in 1946. The UN didn't adopt a resolution after that request, but India raised the question again in 1948, describing South Africa's treatment of its non-white residents at that time as apartheid. In 1954, another resolution noted that, quote, the policy of apartheid constitutes a grave threat to the peaceful relations between ethnic groups in the world. More UN resolutions followed leading up to that one in 1962 that requested 
that the UN member states take action against South Africa. South Africa continued to uphold apartheid, though, and other UN resolutions followed, including one that labeled apartheid as a crime against humanity in 1973. South Africa was suspended from the United Nations General Assembly in 1974 and finally began repealing its apartheid laws in 1991. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on this podcast, and thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, and you can tune in tomorrow for the start of a revolution. Hello, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we take a tiny bite of history every day. The day was November 6, 1944. Weapons-grade plutonium was created for the first time at the Hanford site, a nuclear production complex in the state of Washington. The Manhattan Project was a U.S. government research and development project to produce the first atomic weapons. One of the missions of the Manhattan Project was the development of weapons-grade plutonium. Plutonium was first produced and isolated in December of 1940 by scientists at the University of California, Berkeley. The team sent an article describing the discovery to a scientific journal for publication, but the paper was withdrawn when it was found that the element could be used in atomic bombs. The discovery wasn't published until after World War II ended. Hanford, Washington was chosen as an ideal location for a full-scale plutonium facility because it was relatively remote, had hydroelectric power from the Grand Coulee and Bonneville dams, and the flat, rocky terrain was good for supporting the production buildings. The Hanford Engineer Works, codenamed Site W, was built by the DuPont Company. Residents in Hanford, White Bluffs, and Richland, including Native American peoples, were evacuated from the area with short notice. The thousands of employees at the site knew they were doing war work, but few were aware that they were working on nuclear weapons. Three nuclear reactors, or piles, were built at Hanford. Their purpose was to produce plutonium from uranium. The B reactor was the first production-scale nuclear reactor. Its design was based on physicist Enrico Fermi's experimental reactor at the Chicago Met Lab, Chicago Pile 1, and the X-10 graphite reactor in Oak Ridge, Tennessee that began producing plutonium in late 1943. B reactor went online in September of 1944, and it produced its first plutonium on November 6th. D reactor went online in December, and F reactor went online in February of 1945. Each of the three reactors needed at least one ton of uranium to produce just 225 grams of plutonium. Unirradiated fuel elements were irradiated in reactors. Then, irradiated fuel was cooled and sent by rail to chemical separation plants, known as canyons or Queen Marys. After the separation and concentration process, plutonium nitrate paste was stored and then shipped to Los Alamos, New Mexico, where a secret lab for the Manhattan Project was located. In February of 1945, the first shipment of plutonium was sent to Los Alamos, where the plutonium nitrate was converted to metallic plutonium. Plutonium from the B reactor was used in the Trinity test, the first detonation of a nuclear device, which was conducted at the Alamogordo bombing and gunnery range. 
Plutonium from the B reactor was also used in Fat Man, the bomb dropped over Nagasaki. By December of 1946, employment at the site was down to around 5,000 people. After World War II was over and the Cold War ramped up, more reactors and plutonium processing complexes were added at Hanford. The site produced most of the plutonium used in U.S. nuclear weapons. Most of the nuclear reactors at Hanford shut down between 1964 and 1971, but one reactor remained in use until 1987. This last reactor, N-reactor, was a power reactor for electricity and a plutonium production reactor for nuclear weapons. The U.S. Department of Energy has controlled the Hanford site since 1977. In 1989, the Department of Energy, Environmental Protection Agency, and the Washington Department of Ecology entered into an agreement for a cleanup at Hanford, which produced a lot of nuclear waste. There is still controversy surrounding leaks and contaminated waste at the site. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Give us a shout or a share on social media at TDIHC Podcast. And if you would like to write me a letter, you can scan it, turn it into a PDF, and send it to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.